Greetings, users and programs, and welcome to episode number five of Cactus Flax Podcast, the show in which I will be discussing all of the arcade cabinets that I have actually owned. I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's show, I will be covering Shinobi, which was released in 1987 by Sega. Shinobi is a platform game, the object of which is to beat all five missions. Uh, Each level is uh, completed by collecting all the hostages and making it to the exit. The control panel contains an eight-way joystick. There are three buttons, one for jump, attack, and ninja magic, and most cabinets had three buttons on each side of the joystick so that you could play either left or right-handed. As far as I know, there's no such thing as a dedicated Shinobi cabinet. Uh, there was a generic Sega cabinet that was used, and so normally you will see uh, Sega listed on the control panel, and uh, but with a dedicated, obviously, a Shinobi marquee and uh, bezel on the game. Brief review, you are Ninja Joe, a.k.a. Joe Musashi. Uh, Your goal, again, is to work your way through the five missions, each of which has between three to five scenes. Uh, The last scene of each mission ends with a boss, uh, which is followed by the bonus stage. The bonus stage is done in a first-person point of view in which ninjas are approaching you and leaping across these platforms, and you throw as many uh, shrieken or stars as you can to prevent them from reaching you. If they reach you, uh, then you the bonus level is over. Um, in the game, you have several different attacks, although there's really only one attack button, and the attacks are kind of controlled by your distance uh, between you and your enemies. So uh, when you are really close to an enemy, you may kick them uh, or attack them with your sword. When you're further away, you will throw stars at them, and later on you can upgrade to these little Uh, rockets, and the rockets uh, will go through some of uh, enemies' blocks easier than your uh, stars will go. The goal, again, is to collect all the hostages. So you don't necessarily have to defeat all the enemies on each level, but you do have to save all these little girls that are tied up uh, and randomly dispersed throughout the level. Um, The game allows continues on the first four missions. But on the fifth mission, you cannot continue. So if you die on the fifth mission, your game is over. And I don't know that a lot of people know this um, or paid attention to this, but um, when you continue, your score doesn't erase. Uh, It's not set back to zero. So you can play all the way through the game, or at least up to the fifth level, by continuing over and over. But the amount of times that you continue is noted on the high score table, and you'll see that number next to uh, your name. So if it says there's a seven, you know, in the next column, that means that you continued seven times. So it made it um, difficult to lie to your buddies and say you were able to beat the game on one quarter when the number next to it said, you know, 65 or something. (laughs) Obviously, in an arcade, we wouldn't continue that many times. But when you own a game and credits are free, uh, you know, sometimes things happen. Um, 
One thing that I didn't like about the graphics, I mean, the graphics are 16-bit. They're very detailed. Um, I like the fact that the enemies look like ninjas, and they're all different colors. Uh, and, and there's all different, you know, kinds of little, oh, like there's Marilyn Monroe posters hanging on the wall. And there's little signs, and there's all sorts of little details. So I like all that. The only thing I didn't like about the graphics was that you don't look like a ninja. You have a gray suit on with little, uh, you know, bands around your, your ankles and, and wrists. And, uh, I I don't know. I just found it a little disappointing because, you know, it's a ninja game and, uh, you know, you would, I would at least wanted to, um, look like a ninja. The music and sound effects, the music is really good. I think everybody that's played Shinobi at some point in uh, time, if you played it as many times as I did, uh, you know the um, uh, you know the in-between bonus level songs, you know the, the transition songs at the end of each level, you know the music that plays in the background. Um, it has great sound effects. There's this clinging sound effect each time metal hits metal when your stars are blocked by a sword. Um, there's a ninja magic you know, explosion that sounds, there's all kinds of really cool sound effects in this game. So, uh, lots, lots of good sound music, everything. I really like all the graphics and sound in Shinobi. Um, other systems it was released on, it was ported to a lot of, uh, systems. It appeared on the Amiga, the Amstrad CPC, Atari ST, the Commodore 64, DOS, MSX, NES, Sega Master System, TurboGrafx-16, and the ZX Spectrum. It was also later released for the Wii and the Xbox 360. Now, one problem with the line of Shinobi games is that uh, their naming standard throughout the years has gone just haywire. Um, There's a new Shinobi which was released in, uh, or for the PS2 and the PS3, um, there was a different version of Shinobi, but I believe it's just called Shinobi for the Game Gear and the Nintendo 3DS. There is Shinobi Legends, which is also known as Shinobi X for the Sega Saturn. Um, There's also Nightshade, which is uh, Shinobi 2, but not the same Shinobi 2 as the other Shinobi 2 for the PS2. Then there's uh, Shinobi 3 Return of the Ninja Master for the Sega Genesis uh, 3DS uh, Wii, Windows, and iPhone. There's the Shinobi that's been released that was the updated one for PS2 and for the modern systems is a uh, third-person uh, game where you run around like a third-person platform game where you're also, you know, a ninja. And it's just... I wish it was like Shinobi 1, Shinobi 2, Shinobi 3. Uh, and even, you know, when they add something at the end, like, uh, um, you know, the Nightshade, like Shinobi 2, Nightshade, or something, you know. But what ends up happening if you go to eBay or Google or, or Amazon and you're looking for Shinobi, you're going to find all different games that are named very similarly. So it's a little bit confusing. Welcome to Bonus Day.
little bit about my history, both with ninjas <laughs> and this game. Uh, I have an episode of You Don't Know Flack. Uh, I will put a link to it in the show notes if you want to hear it about ninjas, my history with ninjas. Um, my history of ninjas falls, uh, you know, I was an 80s kid. And so there were a couple of years where breakdancing was very popular. All of a sudden, ninjas were very popular, and then skateboarding became very popular. So ninjas were, uh, for two or three years, a big focus of uh, my teenage years. In 1987, I believe, is when my local bowling alley got Shinobi. Uh, the bowling alley was within walking distance of Jeff's house, so the two of us would walk up there. Again, we were infatuated with all things uh, martial arts and ninja-related. We watched ninja movies. I had a ninja sword. I had a ninja suit. Um, I, we made our own little spiky, uh, caltrops that you could drop and, and, um, stick in people's shoes out of straight pins and pencil erasers. I mean, we were into all of it. So having an arcade game that featured ninjas was just, oh, I, there couldn't have been anything better for us at the time. And we would play it even if it weren't a good game, which I believe it is a good game, but even if we weren't, uh, I'm sure we would have played uh, it over and over just because of the ninja aspect uh, of the game. And again, uh, in the early, you know, we have what I like to call the trifecta of ninja films, Enter the Ninja, uh, Revenge of the Ninja, and Ninja 3, The Domination. And in Enter the Ninja was the first time I had ever seen ninja suits that weren't black. There are red ninjas and the the protagonist has a white ninja suit on. Uh, and in this game, there are red ninjas and blue ninjas and green ninjas and all these things. So it just made it even cooler. You know, in real life, everybody only had black ninja suits. But, uh, you know, these other kind and, and really how practical where are you going to hide in a red ninja suit like a, a volcano <laughs> or a blue ninja suit? You know, oh, yeah, if you're a ninja in the Caribbean, <laughs> then I guess a blue ninja suit makes sense. But otherwise, uh, black or camouflage, that was another popular thing. Um, uh, but, you know, those were the traditional colors. So seeing the ninjas of other colors um, and, and they they fight differently in the game, too. Like you have the green ninjas that will crouch down and sneak up on you and then jump up in the air and, and they attack from above with their swords coming down. So the different ninjas act differently um, in the game, too. Uh, I bought my first Shinobi, and there's a reason why I said my first, uh, at an auction, and I paid $25 for it. In later years, I bought two more Shinobis for $100 each. So since we're talking about the El Reno era of games, we'll talk about this $25 cabinet that I purchased. So I bought it for $25. Apparently, it was not... Uh, deemed to be a classic game. And I saw this. There, there was a big divide happening during this time in arcade prices. What I saw was new games were very expensive because people were still putting them on location. Old games, classics, Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, were also expensive because people wanted them. But all the games in the middle... You know, those mid to late 80s games were not worth very much money. And so I started focusing my collection on games from that era, games that were um, not expensive, but ones that I like. Now, I would have bought Shinobi 
uh, you know, I can't say at any price, but at any price I could afford. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't buy this because it was cheap. I bought it because I really wanted Shinobi. Now, when I got it home, uh, what I found out was that it didn't have any sound. And I, again, I was still learning. I didn't know anything about, um, you know, maybe the speakers were missing. I didn't know. Uh, so we got on and, and, uh, you know, Jeff came over and helped me and we looked and the speakers seemed fine and this and that seemed fine. And then, um, we looked at the PCB at the area where I guess the little sound chips were, and it was eaten up with battery acid. And so there's a a small board on, on Sega, uh, I guess on, on whatever this, this level, I think this is a Sega 16 game, I believe. Um, but on this specific, you know, layout, the acid from the batteries, uh, would leak out onto the motherboard and eventually ruin parts of the board. And so it had literally eaten up, um, the sound chips on my board. Now, the reason that this board, has a battery is due to something called, um, uh, they call it a, a suicide board. And the reason that they call it that is because now you have to think back to this era. People, uh, arcade companies were, uh, concerned about piracy, not piracy of like people at home playing the game, but other companies pulling the chips off and either making bootlegs, which they could sell, uh, at a much cheaper price or, you know, in theory, reverse engineering their code. So what a few companies started doing, and Sega was one of them, was encrypting some of their chips. And the part of the board that decrypted the encrypted chip uh, was basically stored in RAM and was powered by this battery. So if you tried to remove the chip, uh, or if you removed any of the other chips, they were encrypted and you wouldn't be able to read them. If you tried to remove this chip, uh, then it wouldn't have the power of the battery and that information would be lost. So you could never pull that off. I suspect that Sega and a lot of other people uh, didn't expect us to be playing these games or purchasing them or buying them 5, 10, 20 years later. So there's no uh, official backup plan. When that battery dies the game dies. That's it. Because the code, uh, you know, in the chip that decrypts the rest of the game is lost. Now there is a solution today. And what people do is they find a replacement chip, um, that is decoded. And so, uh, you just pull those chips off. You, you burn your own chips and replace them with ones that are not encrypted and you can get your, your machine up and running again. I didn't have the knowledge or, uh, the, the, uh, ability to do any of that back then. Um, so, you know, I basically had a Shinobi that had no sound. And when you looked at the board, you could literally see where the damage had occurred. And, uh, eventually what happens to those is that either the battery completely dies or there's so much damage on the board that it doesn't work. So, that's the story of my first Shinobi. And I'm going to jump forward in time a little bit. When I had my arcade out behind my house, uh, and I had, this was after I had sold all of these games that we're talking about, including this Shinobi, I went to an auction and I found another Shinobi and, and the sound worked and, and it was in good working condition. And so I purchased it because I missed having this game. Shinobi is a game that I enjoy playing. 
And I went to another auction a couple of years later and I found another Shinobi and I was always worried that my Shinobi was going to die. I was always worried that that battery was going to start leaking and that it was going to ruin it just like had happened to my first one. And so I found another one for a hundred bucks and I bought it and I called it my spare Shinobi. And so, um, <laughs> people would come over and they were like, why do you have two of these games? I'm like, oh, well, that's my Shinobi and that's my spare Shinobi. So if either one <laughs> were to die, I would still be able to play Shinobi. That's a little bit overkill in the world of arcade collecting. I will grant you that. But, um, uh, you know, and, and in reality, I always thought, well, I could always turn one of those into a different game, but I never did. So I just had two Shinobi cabinets for a long time. Uh, I ended up selling one of them to someone who actually wanted Shinobi and the other one, um, I put in a storage unit and eventually, and it got water damage and it ruined the cabinet. So, uh, I pulled the, the motherboard and the marquee and everything out and I sold all those parts, which oddly enough sold for more than the entire other cabinet, which worked. Um, arcade stuff is a weird business. And so, uh, and then I smashed the cabinet and I put it and I left the marquee in it. I made a video, I put it on YouTube and I said, this is how much I hate Shinobi or something like that. And put a link to it. And boy, oh boy, did people come after me? Oh, you're destroying a classic. Well, and really, I hadn't really destroyed anything. It was just kind of a, a fun video, uh, to put out there. But, um, yeah, uh, this really taught me. Getting back to that original one, this taught me, well, first of all, I was buying stuff that I didn't know anything about. I didn't know why it didn't have sound. Now, if I were looking at any, uh, you know, Sega game uh, or a Capcom game from the early 90s or Sega game from the mid 80s to late 80s, and uh, I would definitely check the quality of the PCB. I would look to see if it had the original battery, if it had been replaced at some point, Um you know, just things that you learn over time. And, and, uh, that was really when I wrote invading spaces, one of the things I put in there was, uh, I've already learned all these things the hard way. <laughs> so that's why I was sharing, uh, those hints and, and tips and tricks with people was because I had already done everything the hard way by spending money and learning these lessons. And so I was sharing those, um, you know, with other people so they didn't have to do that. Uh, but, this back to uh, this original Shinobi cabinet. I moved it into the house. It didn't have sound. Um, I missed it not having sound, but that did not stop me from playing it. I played it all the time. And my other Shinobi machines, I played them all the time, too. Uh, I could usually get to, um, oh, the third or sometimes the fourth um, mission. I got pretty good at it. I've never beat the game. I've watched the walkthroughs um, of playing, you know, people playing all the way through the game. And I think that I got relatively close. I mean, I know that I got to the fifth level or the fifth mission before, but I don't, uh, I never uh, beat the game. I don't have any memories I can think of, of transporting this game. Uh, I do have a lot of memories of playing the game. Like I said, um, you know, it, it changes your perspective when you own a cabinet because you can play it as long as you want. Uh, and what I mean by that is you have infinite credits. So I'm kind of glad that you couldn't, uh, beat, uh, or continue forever on the last mission because I'm sure I would have beaten it and probably would have lost interest in it. So there was always that, um, 
goal that I wasn't able to attain, which is what kept me playing it. Now, one thing that got old about this game is that there's nothing in the game that is random. Uh, so when you play through the game, the location of every enemy is in the same place. The patterns that they fire is the same every time that you play. So it's very, very pattern-based. Um, and when you play through the game, as I have over the years, and you play it, um, you know, not five or ten times, but a hundred or two hundred or three hundred or five hundred times, um, <laughs> you get to the point where, you know, you're so used to uh, the patterns and where the enemies are going to be and when they're going to fire and uh, things like that. Now, the, um, uh, I think the the way that the first boss, like the boss, the way that he fires the fireballs may be randomized, but I mean, just not that much. All the enemies, everything in this is a set pattern. So that's one thing that does take away from it. Um, you know, when you own it and you play it for so long and so many things that, uh, there's no randomness as there would be with some of the other games I, I mentioned that I own like elevator action and, and, um, street fighter two and things like that. I don't, recall what I sold this game for. I think I probably sold that original one for $50 like I sold the other one. So this could be uh, a rare case of me making a profit on an arcade cabinet. Normally, uh, in best case scenario, I sold them for what I paid for them. And more typically, I sold them at a great personal loss, <laughs> as I do with many uh, business ventures. Um, so uh, Exidy's price guide does not have a current value, but uh, this game is popular uh, with um, uh, collectors today. Uh, on eBay, there are no complete cabinets for sale, but there are PCBs uh, as high as $385. There are several in the $250 uh, range, and most of those have been fixed. The suicide battery has been removed, and uh, it has been replaced with an updated chip. So at least you're purchasing uh, a game that you know is not going to die uh, if you if you leave it laying around. Uh, would I buy this game again? Probably. And that <laughs> that is a case of my heart talking over my brain. Uh, my brain will tell you that this game is easily uh, replicated in MAME. There are three buttons, uh, and this is a, a even though the, the original game is not JAMA compatible, I, I'm sure there are JAMA adapters available for the Sega 16 boards. Um, so it's not JAMA, but the, it's a what I would call a JAMA setup. And by that, I mean there's a eight-way joystick and three buttons. So this is not hard. Uh, to get working on MAME. It plays great. It sounds great. So everything about this game is easily played in MAME. But that being said, um, I don't know. There's just something about this game. I like it. I'll always like it. I have that connection to it from uh, uh, my childhood as far as the ninja stuff goes and the memories of playing it with Jeff at the bowling alley. And so, you know, if I ran across one, if I were collecting again, um, and I was looking for a game, you know, a, a cheap starter or something like that. This is probably one that would go back into the collection. My final thoughts of this game was that this was the first game. Um, Map Mania was a game that I liked, but Shinobi was a game that I loved. And there were, uh, like I said, it was released for the Commodore. That version's not great. Um, you know, 
And so when Shinobi disappeared from arcades, there was nowhere for me to play it. You know, I mean, this was at a time where we thought we might never, if a game disappeared from your local arcade, you might never get to play it again. So I was really excited uh, to get this. And I just remember playing it a lot uh, and getting really good at the patterns and, and memorizing the levels. Um, so yeah, I, I have really great memories of Shinobi and the minute, uh, that I'm done recording this, which will be in about 30 seconds. I'm going to go play it again. <laughs> Every time I talk about it, I just think about, uh, how much I miss this game and how much I used to enjoy playing it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cactus Flax. You can find more episodes of Cactus Flax over at podcast.robohara.com. If you'd like to contact me, send me an email at robohara at robohara.com. Find me on Twitter at Commodore or follow this page on Facebook.com forward slash Cactus Flax. You can also leave a voicemail on the Rob O'Hara podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. Cactus Flax is a proud member of Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. To find this and other retro-themed podcasts, visit throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening. Mission 1, finish.